In 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a jumping around here with some of the different stuff because one part of 2 Corinthians 11 goes with the second half of the chapter better and the one part goes better with what we're going to do here tonight. And As you hear me say a lot out here, when the Bible was written, it was written to be read as one continuous thought. And so what happens is so often we get a half hour here or 45 minutes there, so it sometimes gets broken up into pieces. And I don't really like that, but... So we're going to kind of hit some here tonight. We're going to jump ahead and hit some in the middle, and the next week we'll finish up chapter 11. So with that being said, let's go right into this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin Christ. Now you got to remember the background here to Corinthians. Paul has a deep spiritual responsibility for the church at Corinth. We talked about that last week. Verse uh, 13 of chapter 10, it says, The sphere which God has appointed us. And depending on your translation, it may say the field, the boundary. It's where God has put you. God has put you in a place, and where he's put you, you have a spiritual responsibility for those people that you are around. Now, you can't make them go deeper in the Lord. You can't make unsaved people get saved. But you have a spiritual responsibility for those people that are in your sphere, your boundary, to be a light and a witness to them and to encourage them in the Lord. And we talked about how some people's spheres are very, very small. Some are very, very big. But whatever place God has put you, you have a spiritual responsibility to that. Well, Paul says, this church at Corinth, he goes, you guys are my spiritual responsibility. He goes, I, I take responsibility for you. And he says in verse 2, he goes, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And we've talked about that before, that word jealous. We always think of jealous in a negative connotation. We think of the jealous husband, the jealous wife. This word jealous really means zealous. Paul is saying, I am zealous for you. I, I am jealous for you to go deeper in your walks and relationships with the Lord. I want you to be a stronger, better husband, father, mother, daughter, whatever it is where God has called you. Problem is, sometimes people don't want to be a stronger husband, father, mother, daughter, whatever God has called them to be. We've said this out here before at church. Sometimes we care more about their marriage than they do. Sometimes we care more about them going deeper in the Lord than they do. Paul obviously struggled with that himself. Jump ahead to the end of chapter 11 when he goes through his whole list of burdens that he's gone through. And we'll get to this last week. The physical torture that he's gone through being an apostle. But look at this. Look at verse 28 of chapter 11. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. One of the biggest burdens that Paul faced is he was burdened for the people that he felt spiritually responsible. I remember uh, one time at a funeral I was at, I heard someone tell this story, and they were talking about the grandfather that passed away, and they had a picture of every single one of their grandkids up on the wall. And someone came into the room and said, wow, look at all those grandkids. But what a neat blessing. And the grandfather's response was, there's a lot of worry up on that wall. And he felt worry for all of his grandkids. You know, for parents, you feel worry for all of your kids. You feel burden for all of them. But Paul is saying here, I feel a spiritual burden and jealousy for everybody I'm spiritually responsible for. Because Why? He wants them to be pure, a chaste virgin to Christ, unspotted from the world. He says, I want to present you to God, pure in Jesus Christ, because I have a spiritual responsibility for you. And so therefore, when something comes into their lives that's going to hurt them in their walk with the Lord, Paul says, I'm jealous for you, I'm zealous for you to come into your life and, and to try to correct that, to try to help that, because I care about you, because you're in my sphere of influence, you're in my boundary. Now, let's put this all together. Because the same thing applies for us today. We talked about that last week. All of us have a ministry that God has called us to where we have a spiritual responsibility for somebody where you are near them, around them to be a light and a witness. And if you're sitting there tonight saying, I don't have that, yes, you do. You may not admit it, you may not like it, but there is somebody in your little circle of life 
that is either saved, needs to be encouraged by you, or someone in your little circle of life that's not saved that you're being a light and a witness to. I don't care where you're at. You have somebody in your circle, in your boundary, that you have a spiritual responsibility for. And so therefore, God is asking you, what are you doing with that spiritual responsibility? Are you jealous for them? Does your heart hurt when you see somebody you know and love instead of going deeper in their walk with the Lord, going backwards? Because God says, I want you to have that same burden that you feel burdened for those people. And I want to make this clear. You can't make him go deeper. You can't make the unsaved become saved. I want to stress that. But yet you have a spiritual responsibility to do what you can in that area. One of the toughest things we do out here at church is where we see somebody going backwards instead of forwards. They used to be on fire. They used to be walking with the Lord, and then they just fall off to the wayside. And, and you do what you can. You obviously pray. You call them. You write them. You do what you can. But they don't want it. Gosh, that hurts. I'd rather have somebody come up to my face and just be rude to me than rather see this flame just start to dwindle right in front of your eyes. And we got a couple right now that are a couple people in that position right now, and you just sit there and your heart just breaks for them. You're like, what, what can we do? God says it's between me and them. But you know what? I want to be doing everything I can to encourage them and to help them. So a couple questions that come up with this because we have a spiritual responsibility. Zach or Luke up there, can you guys put up the first uh, slide there that we were talking about? I mean, a couple of thoughts came to my mind about this that I wanted to share with us tonight. Okay, first one is God has called us to be disciples. That's the first thing. Next one, God has called us to disciple. Let's just stick on this point for a little bit. Turn your field to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. The reason you are here is to do what? We've said this numerous times, the two W's, to worship and to witness. So part of your witness is to go, therefore, and make disciples. Matthew 28. One of the most famous verses, the Great Commission. Look here in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Simple question is, are you making disciples? That's why we're here. A lot of times I feel sometimes when I run into a Christian that says, I feel empty. What's my point? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Well, are you making disciples? No? Well, that's your point and purpose. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple? Do you realize the word disciple is used, in my translation, 278 times in the New Testament? 278 times. That's an amazing amount. And it literally just means a learner. A disciple is someone that's learning. It's following the teachings of someone. So if we're supposed to go make disciples, that means we're supposed to go take people and have them start following the teachers of teachings of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our job. So first off, we're called to be disciples. Next off, we're called to then go disciple people. Well, right now you're being discipled. I'm spending this evening tonight trying to encourage you to go deeper in your walks with the Lord. And as you go deeper in your walks with the Lord, you therefore are learning more about Jesus Christ. I think here in a couple months, I think uh, Rich and John are starting up discipleship classes again on Sunday morning. That's a more detailed discipleship class. But the point is, you have opportunities for us to say, we want to help teach you to become a deeper, stronger believer in the Lord. And that's what we talked about Sunday. The whole purpose of why we're here is to instruct you in the Word to then go out as you leave this building to then do the second part, God has called you to go disciple people. Now, simple question. Are you being discipled? Well, that's an easy question because you're sitting here tonight. So, that's good. Number two, are you discipling other people? You're going to feel an emptiness in your life until you fully realize that the reason you are here is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too often we spend too much time in our life thinking about what is our point, what is our purpose, what am I supposed to be doing? 
man, you don't have to think about that. God's called you to be a light and a witness. That's what you're supposed to be doing. It's that simple. Look at the next phrase here in this passage. Look, jump down to verse uh, 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. If you have NIV, it says the devotion. But it's the better translation is simplicity. Our job is simple, to show them Jesus. This is not deep and profound. How simple is that? I'm called to learn more about Christ, to therefore go tell other people about Christ. That's why I'm here. And that's the simplicity of what I do. How simple is Christianity? John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says, I'm the only way. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is simple. It's not hard. It was our job is to point people towards the one way of Christ. You know what the problem is? Turn to Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20. The problem is it's simple, yet there is this uh, catch to the whole thing. Acts chapter 20. Look here in Acts chapter 20, which tells us what is the catch to the simplicity. Acts 20, verse 27. Paul writes, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. See, here's the problem. It's simple, and the enemy knows it's simple, so he tries to disrupt it. Now, how simple is that? <laughs> it's simple. The enemy knows it's simple, so he tries to disrupt it. Paul, when he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, I warn you again and again, the enemy will come from the outside to try to destroy you, but he also will come from the inside to try to destroy you. See, as a church, we do a pretty good job of making sure our walls are up to keep the false teaching from coming in. The problem is when it creeps in from the inside, that's where sometimes you don't see it coming. Paul's warning them, hey, it's not just from the outside you've got to worry about, it's also from the inside that you have to worry about. He goes, you have a spiritual responsibility. You have a sphere. You have a circle. You have a boundary which you are spiritually responsible for. And with that responsibility, are you helping make disciples? Hebrews 13 goes one step further. You don't need to turn there. It just says, obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give Count. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. See, as a pastor of Harvest, I have to give an account for you guys spiritually. Once again, I'm not responsible if you choose to go backwards instead of forwards. I'm not responsible if a non-believer comes in and they choose not to accept Christ. I'm responsible, as Paul just said there in Acts 20, to present the whole counsel of God. But I have to give an account of this, and God's going to say, did you do what you could to encourage them and uplift them? Yes, Lord, I did, and then I'm, I'm done. I did what I could. We have a spiritual responsibility for that. So let's put this all together. Where is your circle? Who are you spiritually responsible for? And if there's, if you have that understanding now, what are you doing to help them go deeper in their walk with the Lord? What are you doing to help make them a stronger, better disciple? Justin, can you put up the uh, last slide here? Here's a question I want us to think of for the next one. Who is in your sphere or field that God has called you to invest in spiritually? That's what Paul's talking about here. Paul is saying, I have called, I have been called to invest in you. Now, why don't we do this? Because that's a lot of work. I've heard too many times before, well, I've really got a chance to minister to somebody one time, and they, and they hurt me, just like we killed Christ. Yeah, they hurt you. That, that's, that's what's going to happen. Well, you know what? I put a lot of time and effort into somebody, and nothing ever changed. Well, Jesus died for those that didn't care if he died for them or not. 
Part of ministry is we just invest and we take trust that God's going to take care of the rest. See, too often I see Christians, instead of being jealous for other people to go deeper, they put walls up and say, I'm not going to get hurt. You know what? I'm not going to lie to you. Part of Christianity is you open up yourselves to invest in other people and you will get hurt. One of the biggest things I've told you out here before, the biggest pains I felt, is when you invest in someone spiritually and instead of them going deeper in their walk, they go backwards in their walk. That hurts. But the greatest joy I've ever seen in, in life almost is when someone gets saved and goes deeper. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Sometimes Rich and I will be out here talking about things and, and the name will come up of someone that's going backwards instead of forwards. And we sit there and we, and we just have this like little depressing moment of, oh, that hurts. But then Rich will mention someone's name. He goes, yeah, but remember so-and-so? And then you smile and like, yeah, it clicked for them. It just is encouraging. You know, it, it, that's where you have to stop and say, God, you've called me to the circle of influence here. Am I doing what I should be doing to help them? to encourage them. Am I being discipled so that way I can go help disciple other people? Because if you live in your little circle and you're not trying to impact the world or your coworkers or friends and family with Christ, you're missing the point. The point is we are discipled to go disciple others. The point is that God says there's a simplicity of me and that simplicity you're supposed to tell that to other people. So the question is, who are you supposed to invest in? And if you say, well, I don't know, then you have homework for tonight. God will reveal to you who that person is. Well, there's no one in my life. You're telling me that you have no contact with anybody. Because if you're around believers, God says invest in them. Well, how am I supposed to invest in them? If nothing else, pray for them. How can I pray for you? How can I minister? How can I care for you? If you're around non-believers, shine for the Lord. That's all investing is, is you're planting seeds into them to hope to see them go deeper in the Lord. Now, the message takes a little bit of a turn here right now, so we're going to stop for a quick second. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything we've gone over thus far about investing in people, being discipled, and helping make disciples of Christ before we get to the next part here? Anybody? Okay. Because there's a key word here. Did you catch this in verse 3? But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. This is where the battle is. It would be so easy to disciple people and invest in them spiritually if there wasn't this corrupting influence. You know, Rich always likes to say, he goes, he goes, I got three things against me. He goes, the world's against me, my flesh is against me, and the enemy's against me. And that's the truth. People's like, well, if I could just take away the world, man, I'm pretty sinful in just my flesh. Well, I, if I could take away the influence of the enemy, yeah, the world's still out there. My flesh is still out there. There's corruption all around us. And, and how has it been corrupted? Look at verse 4. For he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul says, I'm worried about you. He goes, I'm afraid that you're going to go out and get corrupted by these different things. I'm jealous for you. I've been that way before. Someone comes up to me and says, hey, you know, I ask him, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm getting together with some friends on Friday. Oh, really? You tell me when you get together with your friends that you have a tendency to do things you shouldn't do, and so therefore I'm concerned about you, and so I'm afraid you're going to get corrupted. Oh, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I have a spiritual jealousy for you. I want to see you go deeper. I don't want to see you get hurt. That, that's what we're talking about. Well, what's the corruption that can come? If you're taking notes, look at verse 4. There's three corruptions in there. The first one is a different Jesus. The next one is a different spirit. And the third one is a different gospel. Those are the three main areas that the enemy hits us. A different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. What's it mean to have a different Jesus? Well, that one's all over the place. Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus was the first created being. Mormons believe that Jesus and, and Satan are brothers. That's a different Jesus. That's a corruption. And if you talk to the typical person in the world, they throw Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses under the umbrella of Christianity. No, that's a different Jesus. That's a corruption that's creeped in. And every now and then you hear a, a weird Jesus, like the Jesus that just 
loves everybody and just wants everybody to be happy and he's like a hippie or something like that. I don't know. No, Jesus said there's right and wrong and sin and heaven and hell. You can't change Jesus. And you see people come and make a different Jesus. Well, you see people come and make a different spirit. They make a spirit of fear, a spirit of bondage, a spirit of, well, if you don't follow the teachings and rules of this church, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to you. So they live in fear of a church, or they live in bondage to rules and regulations and legalisms. Some of you may come out of a denomination where the denomination did not preach a relationship with Christ, but instead taught some type of bondage to rules and stipulations and whatever it was. That's a different spirit. Because Paul writes in the book of Galatians that the Spirit of God is freedom. He's freed us from the law. He's freed us so we can just have a simple relationship with Jesus Christ. Anytime I run into somebody and, and they have this different spirit, they're almost attached to the ministry or the teacher of the church, that scares me. That's not the spirit that God wants. That's not the spirit that God wants at all. Look at the last one. A different gospel. Sometimes you see gospels of works. I, I, I see that a lot. Well, I, I know I'm okay. How do you know? I just, I just try to be a good person. Come on, man. The Bible says no one's good. That's a gospel of works. I remember one time, first, it wasn't the first funeral, second funeral that I ever did. Never met the guy. And I, and I went over to the house. I was asked, it was one of those where I got contacted. Hey, this person doesn't have a church. Can you come over and do the funeral? So I went over to this guy's house uh, that passed away, and I was talking to his, it was his wife and all their kids. And never met the guy in my life. And so I sat down, and I said, okay, how would you like me to, I mean, tell me about him a little bit. And, you know, how was he spiritually? Nothing. I, I got nothing out of him at all. So I said, spiritually, what type was he? Well, he felt if you just kind of followed the Ten Commandments, you'd be okay. That's a different gospel. That's a gospel of works. Well, and some of you might say, well, no, not really. No, that, that's a gospel of works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And that's what Paul is saying here. These corruptions creep in. A different Jesus. A Jesus that just is accepting of everything. Or the, the different spirit. A spirit of, well, unless you do this or this or this, you can, or you're in bondage, you're in fear. That's not what God said. Or a different gospel, gospel of works. I'm saved because I have jumped through these religious hoops. Paul said, that's a corruption that creeps in. And he goes, I love you enough, I'm jealous for you, that I don't want to see you get into that. Now, do you have that same type of jealousy for the people that are around you? Because here's the truth of the matter. Why do we not get into discipling others? We've already said because we don't want to get hurt. Number two is because, let's just be honest, we want everybody to like us. Well, the truth of the matter is Jesus said, he goes, I'm very divisive. Jesus said, I, it's one of the things he said in the gospel. He goes, not think I've come to bring peace to the world, but a sword. You don't hear that quote very much from Christ, do you? But he said that, do not think I've come to bring peace to the world, but a sword. When you make a stand for Christ, you are going to divide your friends and families. You, that's just a fact. Because you're going to speak the truth, and as you speak the truth, some people will want to hear it, some people will not want to hear it, and there's going to be a division. Anybody that's ever been in a family where you know there's saved ones and unsaved ones, you know what that division's like. That's up. But God says, well, you, are you willing to make a stand for me and be jealous for someone to look at them and say, I love you enough, I care for you enough to say, man, you're being corrupted. I care for you. Why are they being corrupted? Well, let's finish it up. Jump ahead to... Um, Verse 13 of this chapter. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Why is there corruption? Because Satan's in the church. He's here. See, when we think of Satan, we get this idea of the red long tail, pitchfork, and the horns type thing. Man, Satan's probably got the three-piece suit on. He's probably standing with the Bible right in his hand. That's how Satan creeps in. 
You know, so often we think of end times as being a godless society. I, I, I really disagree with that. I think at end times, God is going to be mentioned all the time. He's just not going to be mentioned in the right context. We're getting ready for another election year, right? You know as well as I do, every single candidate running from office is going to claim to be a Christian. That's just the way it's going to be, because that's what we do. We live in a society where God is accepted. Now, Jesus is not accepted, but the idea of God is accepted. I, I can talk about God, and I'm really not going to offend too many people, because people accept the idea of God. God loves you. God cares for you. I could even probably say, you know what? God thinks there's certain things that are right or wrong. People will accept that. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus, people don't like that. See, Satan's come in, and what has he come in and done? Verse 13, there's false apostles, deceitful workers. But yet they look like apostles of Christ. And we sit here and say, how can that happen? Judas was one of the twelve. In fact, the other eleven were so, lack of a better word, dumb, when Jesus said, this person I dip this bread in and hand it to, this is the person that's going to betray me. He dips the bread in and he gives it to Judas. And the other disciples thought, well, Judas is just going out to buy something. They were that blinded. Buy it. There's false apostles, false workers all around. And why should that not shock us? And look at verse 14, because that's exactly what the enemy does. He transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan's not stupid. If he shows up with the red horns and the pitchfork and the tail, everybody will say, Satan, I need to stay away from him. But if he shows up with the three-piece suit and the Bible in his hand, he's not threatening. Yeah, John, right. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that. I mean, Satan is not, like you said, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient. Those are all God things, you know, which means all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. Satan can only be one place at one time. So a lot of times when someone says, well, it was Satan, I've, I know I'm not good enough for Satan to focus on me. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of other Christians that he can focus on. But the Bible says, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, um, look at verse 7 of chapter 12. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. So, I, how should I say this tongue-in-cheek? I'm not important enough for Satan to come get me, but he can send one of his little underlings. And, and people always ask, well, how many demons are there? Well, the Bible says a third of the angels fell with Satan. And the Bible also says the amount of angels is innumerable. So whatever one-third of innumerable is, that's how many demons are. When you figure that out, come talk to me and let me know. The point is that there's this system that is set up. Satan is not all-knowing, but he has been watching human nature for 6,000 years. You watch anything for 6,000 years, you'll become pretty good at knowing what's going on there. And so what he does is he twists, he corrupts, and once again, he does it in the church, he does it out of the church. And yeah, there are certain things in the world that are just satanic. I mean, you just see it and it's satanic. They're not hiding the sin, the lust, the flesh of it. There's a lot of things that sneak in to the church that look, quote-unquote, okay. And as it says in verse 15, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. They look good. They sound good. But the Bible says we will know them by their fruits and we will be able to see the full package in time because it says at the end of verse 15, whose end will be according to their works. We'll see the end of it. We will. So Paul says, I love you. I'm jealous for you because I want you to go as deep as you can in the Lord. He also says, hey, the simplicity of Jesus, that's what I'm here for. See, some people say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to people. The simplicity of Jesus, I'll pray for you. That's one of the simplest things you can tell people, I'll pray for you. Or, or how can I encourage you? What can I do? Simplicity, don't make it complex. There's corruption all around. They try to make a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. They transform themselves into angels of light. God says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by this at all. And Paul says, I love you enough once again, in my translation, James Irvin translation, I love you enough to be a pain in the butt. And that's exactly what it is. So, once again, as those questions come up, are you being discipled? 
Hopefully the answer is yes. You are being taught. You are going deeper. Then are you discipling others? Are you helping other people go deeper in their walk with the Lord? Because if you're, if you're not being discipled, you're going to feel very empty. And if you're not discipling others, you could be quite honest, you're going to feel very useless. There's a, that's the reason we're here, is to impact other people. And all that we do and say is to be a light and a witness for the Lord. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? All righty. Well, next week we'll finish up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then in two weeks, I hope you can make it out there. Uh, Dr. Baker is going to be in. He's going to do a great presentation there. And if you weren't here a couple years ago, he does a really good job, really down on our level. And it's neat to have that uh, expert come in to do that. So... Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, uh, Lord, thank you for making it so simple. Uh, Lord, just thank you for making it so simple. And Lord, as we grow in you, help us to bless other people. Lord, you have brought people into our circle. Lord, help us to show the love of Jesus to them. Help us to be lights and witnesses. Lord, we don't want to just sit there. We want to get involved. We want to see the world changed for you. Lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week, and God bless.